Hi guys, I I bet you didn't expect us to be back. We've resurrected the pod for a mid-season review of the 2021 F1 season. We have strangled a few from the grave. <laughs> That's not a great analogy, but we have Ashwin with us. Hello, Hello. Ashwin. Yeah, mate. No, it's good to be back, mate. Honestly, you know, looking forward to it. Haven't done one of these in some time due to other commitments, but you know, we're going to get back into the game cover some interesting content, actually a title race on our hands for the first time in about 10 years. And yeah, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, you know, get back into it, get those numbers pumped up, you know, like Matthew McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street. You know, it'll be good. It'll be good. Hopefully some good chat will come as well. You know, should be good. Right. Sachin, Sachin Ranjan, how, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's been a busy few weeks for myself. And it also looks like it's been a busy few weeks on the track for, for the F1 drivers, so it's a lot to get our teeth into. That's the worst link I've ever heard. No, that's a pretty good link. It's not bad. Oh, there <laughs> we go. It's it's not we're rusty. Worst. We're rusty, boys. Rusty. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, we, ha- we just had our little, you know, summer break, and now we're back for the Hungarian GP. We're going to have yeah. a quick mention of that, but then, you know, I think that this has probably been the best race this season. Would you guys agree? Um, a lot of drama, a lot of action. Um, Esteban Ocon won the race. Were we wrong about him? I slagged him off earlier this season because he no. got that three-year extension, oh, no. and I didn't think he really deserved it. Ashwin, do you have any, you know, you more positive wrong, things about? Him? You weren't wrong at all, and I still think that was it. If it if it wasn't necessarily a stupid decision per se, that might be overly harsh, but it was certainly premature based on. Um, the evidence that the body of work that he accrued up when they made that decision that was an extremely premature decision and, and, and obviously one fraught with risk. Now he got handed he got handed a, a win. Nora handed is a bit harsh. He he, he secured a win um, with Sebastian Vettel chasing him in very unusual circumstances. I think circumstances, especially with that restart that none of us had really seen before. Um, and obviously that wasn't something that they predicted even in their wildest dreams. So that's worked out for him. Do I think in the long term, though, it could harm them? Yes, I do. Because he'll be living off that win now for, you know, uh, potentially, you know, 10, 15, 20 races longer than he would have if he hadn't won that. And that if his performance is as good in normal situations, which is, you know, 95% of the time, as we expect him to be based on what we've seen so far, other than that past race, then um, Alpine, as they are now, will be keeping him on far longer than they ought to. Um, and that's just simply because of the freak win that he had yesterday. Now, we could be proven wrong. You know, I, I might be being overly harsh like I was with Alex Albon, or maybe that was just fair. Um, and, you know, maybe he will build on this and really get the most out of the car and, and fully put, push themselves up to be challenging McLaren for that sort of third spot in the constructors. And if they do that, you know, I'll stand corrected. And, I, you know, I think it's great for the sport. They have a French driver and a French team. You know, the F1 along with Britain and Germany and Italy. You know, France is one of the, the old, pure racing nations of Europe, and it's great that they have um, a team that's won a race with a driver that's won a race in the top series of motorsport. And that's happened all too rarely in the history of F1. So that's always nice. Yeah, Sachin, I mean, we, we can't really sort of um, 
you know, do away the the brilliance that led that led led to the win because Ocon had to keep behind an ostensibly faster car behind him for most of the race in Sebastian Vettel. I thought it was a really really good drive from him, um, and as everyone said after the race, you, you can never take that win away from him, right? Unless you no. don't have enough fuel in the car. <laughs> well, uh, I don't mean you can't can't really take the win away from him, but I think it's everyone acknowledges that he only really won the race because of the, the hard work which Alonso put in, keeping Hamilton behind for a good 10 laps, almost certainly, you know, put all of Ocon's work to good use in the end. You know, all, all that defending from Vettel would have been for nothing if it wasn't for, for the drive Alonso put in. And in all honesty, I agree with Ash that it was probably a bit premature for you know, Alpine to be giving him such a long contract as well. I mean, three years is a long contract in F1 terms, right? But, you know, Alpine and the whole Renault program have always backed their young drivers and given them time, unlike other young driver programs we know of. You mean they gave fucking Palmer two years almost? I mean, that was a mistake. But, you know, they they left him, they believed in him, and eventually they, they kicked him out. But, you know... Yeah, as, as I was saying, it's a good for for French motorsport. You know, have, for, since you know they went for a long while not having a single driver on the grid, to now having two race winners, it's uh, fantastic. I think for for Formula One, and um, especially I think since as Alonso was interestingly said this, how you know the F one media in general is very British biased and British heavy. So I think it's good to have, you know other nations getting the praise for I think, some good job they're doing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think more specifically as well, remember that the FIA is a French organisation, at least in its origin, just like FIFA and, and most other governing bodies of other sports, actually, oddly enough. Um, and, Olympics. Yeah, and, and, you know, what tends to happen is that British people sort of invent the sport and French sort of codify and create the governing body. And it's a pretty relationship that's worked out quite well across a lot of sports. But, I mean, to get back to the point... You know, it's it's good that, as Sachin says, to build up, you know, a secondary sort of um, national presence in the sport. You know, the media is way too British focused. I mean, it's unhealthy at points because you have sort of the F1, F1's own podcast, like F1 Nation or whatever they have. It's just like Damon Hill and Natalie Pinkham, like talking about stuff, which is fine. Right. But obviously you're catering for people, you know, sitting in London rather than people sitting in other really important racing areas like, I don't know, Turin or, or Frankfurt or wherever else, right? And, you know, th- those those sort of fans are somewhat neglected, I think, by by the F1 media. Now, you know, half of it will be just because English is sort of the international language. That is true. But at the same time, it, I think it's nice just to, to generally have an old sort of racing nation. It's like if you had, a you know, an Italian driver sort of winning for Ferrari, there's sort of not, not really much like it. Um, and, and you know, that, that's the sort of thing that should be treasured, I think, and, and we can look at that positively. But yeah, going back to what Lauren said, I think, unfortunately, Alpine might be more harmed by this in the long term than, than help. Well, so uh, as Sajin correctly sort of mentioned, you know, I think Ocon partly dedicated his victory to Alonso's work earlier in the race. Um, I thought Alonso's defence against Hamilton was one of the best defensive driving that I've I've seen in in five or six years because like we always talk about Kimi being a really experienced driver right because he like he he doesn't really even when he's getting overtaken he doesn't you know 
put his car in the wrong place and cause a crash or anything. But I think the difference between Alonso and Raikkonen, and this may be just because of the relative strengths of the cars. So I think Alonso puts his car in like an awkward position where even if the car behind is faster, he doesn't know, you know, he can't just can't find a way past. It's like Alonso's car is, you know, two cars wide on the track. I think that's something that's, um, well, I mean, I think it's something that's quite underrated, to be honest. What do you, yeah, what do you think, Sachin? I think with Kimi, it's like he always, he's an experienced driver and he, he knows always to leave racing room. He's always very, he's a very respectful driver in that sense. He always leaves the gap and always leaves space for, you know, both of them to go wheel to wheel. With Alonso, it's, it's like, he's only going to give you the room if you're fairly, if, you know, if you're, you know, alongside him. He isn't going to give you an inch or a centimeter if you're not anywhere near him. And that's what we saw you know, in the Hungarian Grand Prix, where Alonso was showing Lewis off the track down in turn two, parking it on the apex of turn one, and then just giving him enough room into turn four. It is, you know, the most, it just reminds you of why he's such a highly rated driver, why he's a two-time world champion, and yeah. why, why he's still in the sport, and he can still do what he does best. Yeah, it was his he moves is. around turn four for me. Yeah. That, like, yeah, Hamilton yeah. trying to go around the outside so, of turn four. You yeah. know, Alonso's having none of it. Yeah, like, and it's just due to factors outside of outside his control and, like, unusually prev- unusually sort of prolonged bouts of bad luck, right, which, which haven't really averaged out at all in good luck, by the way. Alonso has far fewer titles than he deserves due to the, in terms of the quality of driver and the quality of driving he's done. He's not a driver that we've seen... Um, who is an immensely talented, but then can't pull it off on race day, you know, and, and, you know, he actually has put in really good performances, but it's just been, whether it's specific races, bad things happening, whether it's the contract driver situation, the team he's ended up at, whose car just ended up being crap or whatever else, other factors outside his control. He just has been unusually unlucky for someone who is so, has so much class and, he, he deserves he's worth more than two titles I can say that for sure like if you look at the fact that look at the fact that Mika Hakkinen has two and I think Hakkinen is is a very very good driver like I think he's a he's a top 20 driver of all time uh for sure but but I think Alonso is better and, and should be on more yeah I think bef- when Alonso as before Alonso left the sport I think him and Perez was kind of seen as the pound for pound best drivers in the field I'd say Alonso, as you said, has, has made some questionable career moves um, in the past, which may have prevented him from getting that third title. Um, and I really doubt that he'll end up getting his third title at Alpine, but he's doing a great job um, and really facilitated the win. But we can't forget about all of the other facilitating factors this race. I really, um, this is really a case of Mercedes fucking up from every possible angle. Let's start off with that turn one incident, um, where, where they're paying a part, playing a part. But Valtteri Bottas's mistake. Take take us through that, Sachin. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what happened was Norris came up his inside, and he got, I guess, pincered in by I think it was. Perez. He got a terrible start. Firstly, yeah, he got a terrible start, which is typical Bottas, and yeah, got overtaken by the McLaren on the inside, and then. I think as the McLaren, I think it was the Red Bull, you know, swept across him, that's when he needed to be braking. And that's when he was too distracted by trying to focus on the two cars, closing the gap in front of him, 
and he lifted off, then went to accelerate again, by which time he's well, well, well past the breaking point. And then decided just to have some play bowling with Lando Norris, Max Verstappen. I mean, it was Harris. as 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 bowls go. This was this was a strike. <laughs> this was a strike. I think so. What happened was that. Bottas rear-ended Norris. So obviously, Nor- Norris's car is like careering across the circuit. Norris has no control, and he smashes into—is it Verstappen or yeah. Perez? And then, Verstappen. yeah, go yeah. on. And then um, Bottas continues to just. By this point, Bottas' suspension is absolutely done, so he has no control of the car. And then just T-bones Perez as well. <laughs> so accident to injury for Red Bull. It's very well coordinated move from Total Wolf, I'm not going to lie. Just sort of take out the two big competitors. I mean, Perez out of the race, Norris out of the race, Verstappen not out of the race, but big damage, which really hampered him for the rest of the race. I, yeah, mean, I don't lived. think Toto's fist was banging any tables anywhere at all. I mean, you have two Red Bulls out of, almost looking like they're out of the race. Hamilton leading the field in wet conditions. You, you, you put your money on him to finish the job. Exactly. I mean, that's what we all thought as well. We thought with Verstappen eventually finishing ninth, but we didn't see him winning the, the race at any real point with that kind of damage on his car. Hamilton um, leading, but then the red flag caused caused a few issues because... Well, can I, can I, can I yeah, drop on. something for a sec on Bottas? Um, just before we move on, because the red flag, you know, obviously was caused by, well, partly by him. Um I, think I mean, completely. Penalty, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the penalty's been given is way too lenient. And if I'm honest, you know, I, I think, um, I think the penalty being a five-place grid. Um, yeah, I think. What that, penalty would you think would be more justified? I think. I think. Um, what's the next uh, level above that? Is it, it a race? Ten, race? Ten race. I don't think they do ten places. I, I think, think it's not. more or less a race ban, more or less. No, ten, ten, ten place grid drop is is for uh, mechanical issues. Uh, well, they used to do that anyway. But I was going to say that I, I just think more broadly, it's emblematic of of Bottas's sort of, I think, mental state at the moment, which is not in a great place. Uh, and I say that very sympathetically in the sense that he is sort of um, really, um, he, he sort of seems in, in a similar state of mind to how Massa was in his latter Ferrari years, sort of very, very lacking, very sort of demoralised, sort of broken spirit and consigned to basically whatever the team decide to do with him and based on sort of testing Russell with new tyres you might we can get onto that but that might suggest that his boss's future lies away from Mercedes but but either way you know it's quite sad to see and it's when F1 can get quite brutal um, when you have two drivers competing in identical machinery and one just doesn't come out on top and visibly a team sort of moves on it, you know elite sport in that in that way can get pretty can get pretty brutal and it's often not my so although we do sometimes poke fun at Bottas and say, you know, all his sort of updates have failed or whatever else, like Bottas 4.0, all that, I, I think, you know, on a human level, I, I, I do feel really sorry for him. He's he's struggling and, and um, I, I think he's probably not going to be at Mercedes next year. Do you credit that to Hamilton's form or Mercedes as a team in general? Because I think it's quite well known that, I guess, that 2015 season where Rosberg was absolutely nowhere was... Everyone credits Hamilton for absolutely breaking Rosberg down mentally. But yeah, do you think I, this is Hamilton, or this is more no, Mercedes just ignoring Bottas? No, I, I don't think it's Hamilton that much. You know, I think it partly is just Mercedes don't care about him at all. He obviously is a place filler there with the specific aim of 
fulfilling what is the most lucrative thing for Mercedes. It should be Hamilton and all his sponsors and everything winning. Um, and that's literally his function, his function. And then his secondary function, to be honest, although Mercedes try and say, oh, we care about the we care about the sort of constructors championship the most. I think realistically they care about Hamilton winning the most. And then Bottas is um, gaining lots of points to build up the constructors championship lead is sort of a nice bonus and a, a, a sort of nice secondary consequence when their primary intention is obviously Hamilton Hamilton uh, winning. And, and, and I think that obviously is demoralising for anyone because he's not worth any less than Hamilton. He's less experienced and he's obviously won less and Hamilton is probably a better driver. But it, that doesn't mean that he deserves you know that much more attention that he's getting at the moment. I think Bottas is in a pretty tough position and I'm feeling a lot of sympathy for him, as, as I've said. Yeah, I think that going back to what kind of penalty Bottas should have got, when's the last time we've seen a race race ban? Is it Grosjean in Japan? Grosjean got one because of, but that wasn't for a single incident. I think he accrued too many points. Right, um, okay. And that was before the super license points. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that was, was a that, just, I yeah, can't a multiple first lap incidents. Yeah, it like was the Belgian Grand Prix in 2012, I think. Yeah, when like he took out. Alonso. He had like an Sunday. early lap start, right? And and he took out a load of people. I can't remember what, what specific race it was. This is a Belgian Grand Prix, yeah. You're right. Yeah, he took out Alonso, you're right, Sachin. Um well anyway, back to the red flag. Um because of the what was it half an hour delay or something, the track that was intermediate at the start of the race started to dry out. And we were reaching that sort of um uh that point in the track where both intermediates and dry tyres seem to be you know, quite viable. Um, but when it came to the race restart, Ashwin, we only saw Hamilton on the grid. What, a, yeah. what, what an absolutely strange restart. What, what happened there? Well, he was told, he said that he was told by the team that it was going to rain more when he got into the car. And obviously, you're not, you have to be radio silence on the formation lap. So he wouldn't have known that anyone else had any different information or any of the information had been updated. And then Toto Wolf said, said at the end of the race that basically, um, that basically, you know, this is, that, 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 that starting the race, you have way more to lose than you have to gain from pitting, which I can see, I can sort of see his rationale there. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I can see what he's saying. So that's where Hamilton sort of ended up. Um, and yeah, it probably cost him the race win, or maybe Alonso did. But then taking it into actually a mid-season review, which is sort of what we're doing here, moving away from the Grand Prix, this does potentially show, you know, some cracks in that sort of, um, in that sort of Mercedes sort of massive <laughs> wall of just yeah. wall of just competence that we've seen over the last six or seven years, just like tactical competence that they have. I guess maybe it's because Red Bull are faster, the extent that the, the margin of error that Mercedes have on their calls are much lower. So the calls are tougher. Now, that is true. But also, we have seen some truly bizarre tactical calls this year. And whether it's missing undercuts, whether it's other things, Hamilton has come worse off to Verstappen on a number of occasions. And um, it's unusual, to say the least, uh, given Mercedes' form in the turbo hybrid era. But I think um, sort of looking at looking at this race in particular, I don't think Hamilton did necessarily the wrong thing by staying out. He had the most to lose. And, I mean, if it wasn't for Alonso, he probably would have won the Grand Prix anyway. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, the, the the whole field moved to dry tyres, whereas Hamilton stayed on the intermediates. Um, and that, yeah, that meant that Hamilton, when he had to pit after, you know, essentially lap one of the restart um, to get on the right tyres, he was at the back of the field. He... he 
did do a, a, an amazing drive to get back to P3 and then eventually P2 after Vettel's DQ. Um, yeah. Sachin, do you have anything else to say? Do you, do you think Mercedes are cracking? They have made a few errors this season. I mean, it's just coming more of a regular occurrence, isn't it? Mercedes making strategic mistakes. And it, you, know, it did, and, you know, when they're up against Ferrari, we, we hardly saw many strategic mistakes. And when it was, it was very rare. I and mean, it used, used to end in a very good race. But yeah, they're coming more and more common, whether that's because of the the pressure they're being put under by Red Bull, not just on the track, but off the track. You know, all the trash talking in the press conferences and the the pointing of fingers over wings or other technical regulations, or, you know, when it was the, well, at Silverstone when we had the crash between the staff and Hamilton, the, the bickering and insults being thrown around there. It's getting very heated between the two teams. And, you know, if you're a member of the team, you feel that pressure going into a re- weekend. It's not like you, you rock up with a clear mind. You, you're fully aware of the context of what will happen this weekend. And, you know, the, the fear of making a mistake leads to mistakes being made. And I mean, yeah. Hamilton's mistake, or the team's mistake at the, at the restart was, was evident there. They should have pitted. I, I um, heard the team radio of Hamilton on his outlap. He was literally saying, Dry in turn two, dry turn three. And you think, if you, you believe, Lewis, it's fucking dry, then fucking pit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Why? It's actually, I think this is so unfair, Matt, mate, because listen, right, these yeah. racetracks occupy, like, an, an extremely large, like, square meter, like, s- square area of land, right? They do. They, they yeah. Like, Silverstone crosses, like, two counties. I know Hungary isn't as big a track, but... It's very easy in racetracks for it to be raining in one place and not in another. And you see all the time people having issues of some corners being dry and some corners being wet. And in those changeable conditions, inter- intermediate tyres are a perfectly fair option to, to go on, right? And and if if it's true, and Toto didn't deny this, maybe that's just, I don't know, protecting the PR. But if it's true that... Um, if it's true that Hamilton was also told that we have radar information, which he doesn't have, he has to totally trust them, that we have radar information, it's going to rain again, then I don't really know what he can do in that situation. Yeah, but the number one rule of changing conditions is be on the correct path, the correct time. If the entire track yeah. is dry, you can eat, if it, you go to intermediate, so you could be waiting for rain for five, ten minutes, and by which time you've lost five seconds, five, ten seconds a lap. The obvious choice is to pit. And, you know, this thing about Hamilton, you know, because he's the first pit pops, he would have lost out. He has to wait for all the other cars to pass by. is a bit bollocks because at the most he would have lost maybe four or five positions rather than being dead last. And but if then, he timed it well... What I would say to you is that how do they know before they put Hamilton in the car, before the formation lap, that everyone else is going to pit? They just didn't. This isn't how Mercedes have... Op- and this is not how Hamilton have operated before in the past. Every time there's changeable conditions in the past, Hamilton makes the right call at the correct time, right? It doesn't matter what all the other cars are doing. He does what he does, um, what he feels like the tyres should be. And in this case, I really reject the theory that like, just because he's at the front doesn't mean he's unable to make the right call. I think everybody else in the field pitted and Mercedes should have too. And they did admit their mistake after the race. I really like the fact that, I don't know if we discussed it on the pod, but Mercedes have... YouTube videos on their on their YouTube channel that sort of explain their thinking during the race, um, uh, which I really like. 
you know it's a lot of it's some good transparency so if you you know if you're listening you, you haven't heard of this then definitely go check it out um yeah i i completely agree with you sachin i think that um a prime example of the mercedes mistakes with strategy was the french grand prix um where you know hamilton was sort of left stranded at the front whilst all the you know verstappen um was able to sort of get fresh tires and chase him down uh, almost a re- reverse of spain and i think that he that Mercedes got a lot of criticism for not pitting Hamilton um, and just allowing Verstappen to, to catch him up and win the race. Um, and I don't think that, and I agree with you again, I don't think these kind of mistakes would have happened. It happened in Baku as well. I remember he got done yeah. by Verstappen and Perez at the stops before he made his big mistake with Magic Button. Exactly. So, with all of that in mind, guys, the Max versus Hamilton title race, how first of all, who do you think has had the better season so far? Hamilton is, I think, eight points ahead in the championship, but it is very close. Who do you think has had the better season so far? And who do you think is going to take home the the, the title? Why don't we start with you, Ash? I think Verstappen's had the better season so far, just on scope of improvement alone. Like you expect this from Hamilton, he's been doing it forever. Verstappen, obviously fantastic driver, extremely talented, but you know, he hasn't really had you would say he hasn't really had the car. Um, and now he does. And the market achievement that you've seen is amazing. We'll get on to whether he really does have the car because Red Bull have choked far bigger than Mercedes ever have this season in the last few races. And Mercedes upgrades from Silverstone onwards seem to be pretty good. But um, more broadly over the whole season, Verstappen has, has obviously, you know, um, had the better season. I think Hamilton's ahead on points. Yeah, but looking at laps led and other metrics which are more reliable, you know, how are you doing from most of each race, right? Um, Verstappen's better on all those stats and for obvious reasons. Um, and we had like a three-race stretch where I, straight up, I, I was wrong about this totally, but I saw at the time, you know, Verstappen just couldn't be caught. And I've never thought that, I haven't thought that a driver could do that to Hamilton um, since 2013. So there you go. Oh, yeah, I remember that. You're like, next two races, Verstappen wins it. Yeah, so I was like, if Verstappen wins the next two races, it's done. And he didn't win the next two races. But either way, I was calling, I, I was totally wrong. I was calling it too prematurely. <laughs> but that's how it felt at the time. It sort of shows how well Verstappen did, right? I mean, he yeah. crashed at Silverstone next race. So, uh, Sachin, what do you think? I mean, like, as a Hamilton fan, it, yeah, I, I understand where Ash is coming from. It, it seemed all doom and gloom. It seemed like I think he, Verstappen had the quicker car. And he was absolutely running away with the with the championship. And you know, I don't. I think Verstappen, he, Verstappen has had the better start of the season, considering he's only what eight points behind Lewis or something. And the amount of retirements he's had. Remember, Baku, he had the big blowout, and then you know the two crashes in the last two races weren't entirely his fault. Oh, you know? okay. <laughs> <laughs> weren't entirely his fault. Let's um, unpack that, that, that Silverstone crash, shall we? Because um, we haven't discussed it on the pod, of course. Um, just straight up, guys, whose fault was it? Verstappen or Hamilton? In which which one now? Because there were multiple incidents. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're talking about the Silverstone crash that led Verstappen to smack the wall outside the uh, cops, was it? Verstappen and Alonso, and I've been lauding Alonso at the beginning of this pod, and he said it was a racing incident. So it's a racing incident. Okay, but people would argue that Hamilton, you know, he understeered into Verstappen. 
Sanchez. I'm trying to foment some sort of some anger and debate here. No, because I know like all all of us agree that that it just. I yeah. think I think the issue is here is that you know, formula on Twitter from the quite a nice place it generally is uh, became a bit, bit toxic in about one minute of that happening. It's usually nice. It's quite nice usually. It's quite quite. It's not as it's not as bad as football. But I mean, that's a low bar. But yeah, go on. I mean, like on one hand, you had Verstappen, who arguably could have left more room on on the outside. You could see with his steering inputs, he turned turned into the corner, saw Hamilton, turned out, and then for some reason turned back in. So I don't know why he, he 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 opened the steering up slightly, opening up his line, and then decided to tighten his line again. So I don't think he expected Hamilton to to keep it there. And on the other hand, you had Lewis who had racing room on the inside to play with, but decided to to use as much of the room he was given to take the corner, which he's entitled to do. And he just you know understood into the step, in which you could say, well. You know, that's always going to happen when you have another car cutting across you like that. But, you know, it's a, they, in my opinion, they broke the left racing room. However, if you look at the way the stewards have been applying the regulations since the beginning of the season, not taking into account incidents in the seasons before too much, you know, if a car in the inside understeers and has contact on, with the car outside, they blame the car on the inside and they give him a time penalty. And, you know, we Which see did, yeah. in, you know, Norris and Perez's incident in Austria. Norris got a five second and all the other people that got five seconds in that race because of, you know, car on the inside makes contact with car on the outside. It's um, it's how they've been doing it. It's consistent, I think. I think the stewards, you know, if you're looking for consistency, they've done the correct, they made the correct call. And that is probably why, you know, Red Bull didn't get their thing with the the penalty harshened. I mean, Red, Red Bull. Let's, let's be honest. I, I, I agree with every word that Sachin said. But let's be honest. Red Bull handled this in an extremely embarrassing and childish way. And Verstappen, yeah. Red Bull and Verstappen. Yeah. Verstappen, that tweet was just a disgrace. You're you're de facto there criticizing the fans for celebrating when no one had an idea he was in hospital, and you know, let's just not even go into that. There's no need. It's just two fractures, but. I've made my view clear on that tweet. And then regarding um, regarding sort of Red Bull's pro, pro, like protest, is getting Alex Albon to drive that car and it's, it's just pathetic, honestly. And then and then you know, basically saying Horner saying to Michael Massey, uh, "Oh, no one, no one overtakes." Like Chris Harris tweeted, out, "It's a race. It's a fucking racetrack. It's like what? No one overtakes that. It's a it's a racetrack. It's a corner on a race. It's not like you're not like outside in the school zone." On, on like a road you're at a racetrack when do we suddenly say you don't overtake on certain parts of a racetrack just because it's fast what was the point of the sport then like it, whatever argument you want to make that is not a good one and then you know numerous other sort of just stupid comments that just really I mean, honestly i i do think corner believes hamilton did it on purpose yeah I, and then I, very, I, definitely. that is extremely damaging to like the the integrity of the sport, and I think it's like a totally libelous claim against Lewis, just to deliberately took Hamilton out. Like, and, and what that also shows is just that Horner knows far less about about sort of driving and cars than I'd given him credit for. The man has been exceptionally successful. He's won four four constructors' titles, right? He, he's a serious guy. 
he, he masterminded four seasons where he was like totally unstoppable, not only because his car was fast, but because he got strategy calls like totally correct. And with inferior tools in the last six or seven years, he's punched above his weight. So I'm not here to question his credentials. But what he's showing, showing, no, but what what his arguments in the last two weeks have just really shown me that that either he's just lying because he wants to defend his guy to the hilt, or he understands far less about driving than I gave him credit for if he thinks that Hamilton truly did it deliberately. You know, then I just don't, don't know what he's talking about, frankly. I think it's a ploy by Horner because, I mean, we're coming back to this British bias, you know, when Red Bull were having their heyday, they had the British media on their side, you know, they're a British team winning and being successful and representing our nation. And now you have arguably the only thing that could surmount that, a British driver going at, you know, their team, and all of a sudden they are on the, not on the, I guess, the favoured side of the debate most most of the time. And, you know, they need to attack Hamilton and try and create a narrative because they emotionally feel hurt, understandably, by the incident. And I think they are trying to create this narrative that, you know, our driver is our golden boy and Hamilton is the, you know, Mr. Evil in all of this. And we should be giving him a half the time. By the way, I mean, I, word... I, I, no, but I mean, making that, you know, I, I think Sachin's entirely correct and he's described the situation sort of eloquently and clearly. And, and I think, you know, looking at this, it, like Red Bull trying to, trying to sort of make broader points from it, there's some sort of inherent bias against him in the system. I think that's a joke as well. Just, just, just want to say that as well. Anyway, yeah. a word so for James Alvord. It's consistently, this has been what has been applied over the season. And, yeah, you I know, agree. We might disagree with, I think that personally the stewards are being a bit heavy handed for like most of these, especially in Austria, they're mostly racing incidents. Again, yeah. I mean, the consistency, they got it right, right? Do I think it's a racing incident still? Yes. Do I think all the other five second penalties they gave in Austria are racing incidents? Yes. Do I think the stewards are policing uh, the racetrack correctly? No, I don't think they are. But, you know, if you're being consistent, at least that's you know, at least they're better than nothing. They're applying the standards that they set themselves. But I, I just want to say for Albon, like, I, it kind of feels bad that he's, like, he's actually quite a good driver, but essentially in this incident, as Ashwin mentioned, <laughs> he's just being used as some sort of bitch boy. Like, do, do simulations of the lap just to show that the actual drivers, <laughs> the actual drivers did wrong. Um, Alex Albon, I, I really do feel bad for him right now. It's like, to use Ashman's analogy from, from last year, you know, if your job is a racing driver <laughs> and, and uh, the things that you're doing as a part, I think you should just leave Red Bull, I'll be honest. Um, no, I, I can see that. I don't disagree, you know. I, 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 made, I think, you know, we, we're harsh on Albon and we joke about him. Maybe I joke about him. Um, but, but, like, you know, to be honest, he... He's been poorly treated, you know. I, I just, you know, I totally unjustifiably. Mm. Um, yeah, they mess, they mess him around, to be frank, you know. I, I, I don't think it's very nice. And they and took him out of the Formula E contract to go and basically fuck around for two years with him. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a bit piss poor from Red Bull. I mean, I, I mean, I've heard rumors of late that he's trying to find an indie car drive on his own without Red Bull backing. Yeah, I mean, but good luck. To him. I want him to succeed. Yeah. You know, he seems like a perfectly nice person. Maybe maybe too nice. 
nice guys finish last. You know? No, I mean that in the racing context, that that might be true. Yeah. Um, I'm. It may just be me, like you know, Ferrari fanboy, but I've been really impressed with essentially Charlie Leclerc just doing what he does. I mean, two poles this season in uh, in Azerbaijan and Monaco, leading the race. Uh, could have well could have run the won the race in in Silverstone had it not been for Hamilton cruelly denying him victory with five laps Shut to up, go. Lawrence. No, I mean. <laughs> Just saying, it broke my heart. Um, I didn't think that the Ferrari McLaren battle would be this close because I thought McLaren would would just had a stronger car, but I I'm wrong. The it's uh, it's very tight for that sort of third spot in the constructors. Hey, it's nice to see though. It's nice to see. Yeah, Sachin. Yeah, I think Ferrari and McLaren is quite an interesting battle because that you know when we go to tracks like Baku and Monaco. You know, that's, that's where the Ferrari had the upper hand in, in kind of the slower speed corners. And when you get to the, some of the faster tracks and the McLaren engine power with, with its Mercedes engine, the bat starts coming back at Ferrari. And it's a, it's a nice battle going, ebbing and flowing. And it's been good to see, you know, the, you know, the, the drivers going at it wheel to wheel on track. You know, we've seen Lando Norris have some absolutely amazing results this year, dragging that McLaren beyond where it should be, as with Charles Leclerc in over a single lap in, in, in back in Monaco. And then, I mean, in terms of that that battle, I think the most surprising thing has been the, the contrasting fortunes of, of Sainz and, and Ricardo, in all honesty. Yes, we're going to get onto them in our new section, Hot or Not. I've definitely stolen that title from somewhere. But I want you guys to give me some, like, 10-second thoughts on these following drivers this season we will start with daniel ricardo hot uh, or not? not not like every week i just say get out of my team <laughs> <laughs> I, I, no, okay honestly it's hard to justify i'd I put him near the middle but not just about on the not side it's hard to, it's hard to you know to be fair to him it's hard to, to adapt to a new team but the fact that the qualifying disparities especially between him and lando was so large you know that that's pretty alarming, especially considering how experienced Ricardo is. Like he's been dry, he's been in F one. It feels like for ten years at this point. I don't precisely know how many years it's been, but it feels like that long. And um, he shouldn't be out qualified to that extent by Lando, even though Lando has had three extra years in the car. And the fact that the disparity doesn't seem to be shrinking that much, and the fact that he barely scrapes through Q one, sort of every qualifying, and occasionally gets to Q three, but but not really. Um, is, I think, broadly disappointing given the tools at his disposal. And we've seen, you know, that car is good enough to regularly finish fifth. But if you end up qualifying 11th or 12th every week, it's, you know, you don't help yourself. Uh, Sachin, Lance Stroll, hot or not? Lance Stroll, uh, uh, I don't know, not really. I think, I think you know, Vettel's come in and really shown him how it's done. Lance has occasionally... I think at the beginning of the season, Lance was doing a pretty good job. You know, he was carrying the carried the team for the first five on races. Uh, you know, until Baku, and that you know, Vettel's Vettel, I think, has upped his game and he's upped his. You know, in honesty, you know, Vettel came to Aston Martin with Lance Stroll being, you know, the guy who was already there, the guy that really should have been leading the team, and you know, Vettel was instantly like. Turned the whole thing around, and Lance Stroll is where he was 12 months ago again. 
playing second fiddle to Sir Sebastian Vettel. And while, I mean, he's not as bad as we had braided him for in the past, it was kind of the same Lance Stroll we saw last season where, you know, at times he would be where he should be, but then at other times he's making mistakes. And, you know, I, I think that's where we are. We're still the same place where we were with Lance Stroll last year. Good performances and then some mistakes. I mean, going back to the eternal question, like, do you boys think he'd be an F1 if his dad wasn't who he was? Like, if his dad was just... No. Like, Lewis is dad. I think he would. I, I think he would. No, because, I mean, my, my only thoughts are, like, we've seen drivers as roughly as good as him sort of gone after this point because he's been there for three years now. Three, four years? Been, how long has he been in F1 for? Four years? This, I think it's his fifth season. I think his first was two years. <laughs> Seen pretty good drivers gone after two years, like drivers who performed well in other series gone after two years, haven't we? Especially in recent years. So like, yeah. this is his fifth season. I don't I know. Mean, he, he has had good results. I, I think it's worth mentioning, by the way, that Stroll has actually finished ahead of Vettel um, more times than than Vettel's finished ahead of Stroll. I think uh, Vettel's P2 at Azerbaijan has sort of swung the points battle in his favour. Um, I mean, it's, but I think, yeah. I mean, Lance was having a good season for Lance Stroll, but, like, yeah. in, does he, after five years of being in the sport, do we expect, are we, do we expect more from a driver? I mean, yeah, I think we should, but, he, yeah, he's not, he's not delivering, I don't think. I mean, um, he deserves to get into the sport, I think. I think he, his credentials were good enough to get into the sport, but. I think his stay is, I think, over overdone. Did he, did he win the GP3 championship or something? Yeah, he's won a yeah, three title. Yeah, three then, title, yeah. And then yeah. this is before the super license came in, and he jumped straight from F3 to Formula 1 without doing GP2 or F2 in the middle. Ashwin, George Russell. What is it, is it, what is it again? Hot, hot, hot or not? Hot. Yeah. Hot. yeah hot. It's not going to catch on, guys. Hot. Like, they got... They got he got points for the first time. He's out driving that car as usual. In qualifying especially, he's pulled out some amazing performances on occasion, like scraped into Q3, um, you know, and, and his, his like curse of no points finishing is over. I I don't know if Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso could do any more with that car, to be frank. Like, he pulls out the bag every week. Can't say any criticism of him, to be honest. But he also bottles it on Sunday. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and the one time he finishes in the points, Latifi actually finishes ahead of him. I just, don't agree. Just saying. Because he, he literally said on the team radio, push Latifi. Yeah, no, he did. But that's because Latifi was in P3 at the time. And Russell was like P6 or something. Like, obviously, like, he's going to play the team game. But, um, I don't well, know. who knows? By the time this pod gets released, we don't know. <laughs> Happens to Bottas and Russell regarding the Mercedes seat because I don't see them leaving it till uh, Spa to tell everybody. Yeah, because, I you agree. know, Bottas has to get himself a seat as well, so he need to let him have time to do that. So okay, yeah. I mean, I think Russell, I think Russell is is hot just from his, you know, his qualifying performances, and you know, when under pressure in the race in Hungary, he perform to what the car would allow him to give and the opportunity he had available to him. Yes, he was behind Latifi, but that that wasn't of his own doing. That was just the luck of the circumstances presented. So I think Russell Hobbs. Carlos Sainz, hot or not? Hot. 
I think he's had an exceptional start. I think so. Ferrari, yes. Um, he's managed to match Leclerc in qualifying, something which Sebastian Vettel, you know, struggled to do for most of last year. And I don't want to be overly critical, though, but Sainz, I do remember a few times where he's sort of been knocked out of Q2 and he's had to make a good recovery drive in, on the Sunday. I think Sainz's problem is that I think he's shown he has the pace to keep up with Leclerc and push Leclerc, but he has made a few mistakes of his own doing. I think if you remember in Imola, he made two or three mistakes constantly. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, he had the pace to keep up with the McLarens on that day, but, you know, he just kept making mistakes and going into the gravel and getting on the wet stuff. Yeah, and that's exactly. been That's been consistent, more or less, throughout the season. I remember in Baku, remember he went down the escape road and he binned it in qualifying yep. as well. So I think science has shown he has the speed and it's something, you know, it's something which, um, if you look back at science's career, he has had these, he's, he's tended to make these mistakes in his Red Bull days. Not so much once he moved to McLaren, he's actually quite honest. I thought he was quite a clean driver in honestly at McLaren, but if you look back at his, um, his Toro days, it, it, it did tend to creep in that he was a bit accident-prone. So maybe that's something that's rearing its head again now. He's under a bit of a bit of pressure to perform at Ferrari, you know? You, you, you have to perform yeah. at Ferrari. Yeah. He's under pressure. So maybe that's something we'll, that get ironed out as he feels more comfortable as the season progresses. But. Yeah, I think, especially as you highlighted earlier, compared to Ricardo in the um, sort of second seat at these uh, other, you know, top midfield teams. I mean, he's got a podium in, in, uh, in Monaco, didn't he? Yeah, and he, well, he's, he got a podium in Hungary retroactively. Yeah, so, um, I say, yeah, hot. I mean, for Ricardo, you know, man's been given, promised a NASCAR ride if he gets the podium this year. I don't see him getting... He, his, <laughs> his problem is more fundamental to the car. It's about low speed braking and how he releases the brake, and it's something he seems to not to be entirely get on top of quite yet. And mm. I think Lando, on the other hand, we've seen from his career that he's capable of driving other cars. You know, he's done Daytona, he does a lot of sim racing where you know you race different types of cars, and I think that sort of adaptability that Lando has is for, for a young driver is quite rare in all honesty but are you I, saying that him becoming a twitch meme lord has made him a better driver well yes I am saying that well his, his streaming on twitch has nothing to do with the, the sim stuff yeah no, I, 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 yeah, I get you. But, but yeah I think that's probably I don't see Ricardo's fortunes changing too much in all honesty throughout the year because everybody thought it was a matter of time before he sort of get in the groove of things but yeah so did I but uh, I, I, I honestly don't see it like if it's not improved after 10 races do you really think it's going to improve after another 10 yeah yeah at that point like it's not going to improve regardless just sitting there and hoping waiting for 2022 to come around the new car mm. couple more uh Sonoda uh not no way big miss <laughs> okay i mean 
I slide to Sonoda earlier this season, but I feel like he's starting to get in the groove. He's P6 and hungry, like not a result to be, you know, turn up your In Hungary, he's spun with like five laps to go. Just on the exit of turn two. <laughs> and like, I mean, he had like a, what, a 10 second gap behind him, so he didn't lose a place, but he just out of nowhere just spun the car to a quite weird place as well on the exit of two. Mm. As uh, a rookie, though, it's a tough gig being the teammate of Gasly as well, who's so ingrained in that team. I think, I think, class, I think. Oh, by the way, Gasly's class as well, but just before you. Of course, of course. I, I think, I think Sonoda will have a better second half of the season. I think it's been tough for him. He has made a lot of rookie errors that sort of, if he was in the Haas or the Alfa Romeo, those kind of mistakes would be like, oh yeah, like whatever. Um, so I. Yeah, I think I think he's done okay. I wouldn't say hot for sure. I'd I'd say more not than hot. But I mean, in terms of rookies going coming to Formula One, he's probably the most green rookie we've had since maybe the Staffing came on onto yeah. the scene. He's only done four years of single seater racing. He's literally been accelerated through the whole, you know, career ladder from Formula Four all the way to F one. And it, I, th- I think it, it, it is showing his his inexperience and how how green he is when it comes to, to Formula Car racing. And I think the speed and the potential is there. You know, there's a reason why Red Bull put him in the seat. And we can see it because at times he's, he really has impressed us with some of his, you know, single lap performances. But, and, you know, on a Friday, he can... He, looks always quite impressive and then he just always his problem has been for his first half of the season just too many incidents too many crashes and he's just not getting into a rhythm for his, i mean in hungary in, in hungary when he you know been at turn four you know he was looking good until then and you know if he had more confidence under him he may have been able to hold his own in the race instead of, you know, qualifying on the back of the grid and then just through circumstances ending up where he finished. But, you know, if he, if he, had, the, if he had the pace, it could, if he had the pace through the fact he didn't crash the car in practice, he could have easily kept up with the top runners easily, I think. Yeah. Um, I think, I, yeah, I'd definitely give him more time. Not, not quite a hot yet. Final one, um, I want to say, because I don't give... Shit about Giovinazzi is Sergio Perez. I think this is a tough one because the championship isn't favourable towards him, but I think he's been very unlucky um, this year. So I'm going to say hot. Is that a hot take? No, I think I think he's been unlucky and he's not going to be like the hottest in terms of performance of any of the overall all the drivers on the grid, um, but. If you base sort of your judgment on your expectation, then fair. I mean, I would say hot if you were to ignore the past three or four races where he's been a bit off. You know, Silverstone, he wasn't, he had a piss poor race there. That was his own doing. Yes, Hungary, he still wasn't really on the pace. You know, he got taken out. So, yeah, I would say, I'll say hot. For now, yeah, I mean, definitely couldn't do anything about the retirement in Hungary, but he did in the sprint sprint race, obviously, 
come like fell to the back of the field, which is not something that you should be should be doing, <laughs> basically. But he did win at Azerbaijan earlier this year. He had a good, um, solid, you know, um, performance, uh, picking up the pieces after you know Hamilton and Verstappen had their mishaps. Um, yeah, just a few more things to to cover. Um, what do you guys think? now that I've mentioned it, of the sprint qualifying format that debuted at Silverstone. I really, really liked it. I thought it it made the weekend more spicy. Um, and I thought the lack of practice for the teams before that sprint qualifying led to, you know, it's just a bit more interesting, right? Yeah, I for sure really liked it. As an F1 sort of stats nerd, I want them to therefore to not call it pole, because then if you're comparing poles from like someone whose career spans any permanent change, it would just be weird. So from that point of view, yeah, I sort that. But other than that, I thought it added a really nice dimension to the weekend. It wasn't pedestrian. I think at some tracks it would just be dead, like Monaco. What's the point in it? But doing it sort of elsewhere, like, um, you know, Silverstone, that's a good track to do it at. You can get action. Doing it at Spa, you'll get action. Um, so it shouldn't be done. If it, if it is carried on with, it shouldn't be done at every single track. If you do it at Hungary, it probably will be quite dead like Monaco, but if you did it, you know, at Suzuka, Spa, Silverstone, even Monza, you might you might get some good action. And I think it would give more value to the fans. And the, and the actual reduced practice time for the teams means, you know, more unreliability in the race as well, which is obviously better for fans as well. So, yeah, I, I overall thought it was a good, good initiative. Sajan? Um, I, I kind of have mixed feelings on that. Uh, I like the idea of qualifying on the Friday. I think that Silverstone Friday qualifying, you know, with the evening sun setting and, you know, coming back from work or whatever you're doing on the Friday to come and watch, you know, Friday qualifying is it was absolutely one of the best qualifiers, I think, of the year. Yeah, it was fantastic. But when it comes to the sprint race, I'm, the actual race itself, I'm a bit undecided because it, if you discount more or less the first lap, it was more or less pretty pretty pedestrian right it, it wasn't I, I don't feel like much happened you know it's uh, it's kind of what you kind of expect from an opening you know 20 laps of a race and it, it wasn't any it didn't add an extra dimension to the weekend I don't felt it was it was yeah it was more or less the same as you would expect in a normal Grand Prix racing for the first 20 of laps you know I mean the cars were a bit racier because you know the probably a bit more to gain from starting up high you can you can recover from a bad qualifying you know those sorts of drivers who had a bad qualifying have more to gain but i i don't really see i don't i don't really see the the added dimension of it i would much prefer if they had you know two qualifying sessions one for the sprint and one for the actual main race separately so, you know, you, you qualify and pole for the sprint and qualify and pole for, for the main race. I would think that would be a lot better and would also reduce practice time still. Um, that would, I think, add maybe more more of a dimension. But then to, the, the sprint, unless you change the point system for the sprint. Yeah, and then, and then I'll say change, yeah, do change the point system for the sprint. Make, no, have offer more points like the and, and increase it downwards. Because, I mean, it, it felt a bit, yeah, it, it was a bit empty, I think. And I wish they did a 
bit more or made it more like a standalone event. So I understand the point of doing it, right? You want to put, no one likes watching practice. You know, it's much better for a team, much better for us to see, you know, half an hour of racing while that may be pedestrian. At least, you know, teams are still collecting data rather than a, a, you know, a half an hour, hour practice session. It's much more entertaining and it gets F1 TV viewings up higher throughout the weekend and offers more to promoters. So I understand the reason why. It's weird actually why no one's done it before because business-wise it makes total sense. Um, but yeah, I think they can, there, there still needs to be a bit of tweaking. I can see it, I can see it working and I can see F1 using it in the future. But I, I think it still needs to be some tweaking done to the format. Yeah, I I broadly agree with that. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all the time that we have for today. It was a great return to the pod, guys. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it's good. Um, we can get yeah. back into it. We've all got more time, and we we can do some uh, maybe Grand Prix previews or reviews. You know, we always enjoy those. And yeah, um, next race, spicy one. Best way to end the summer, always. Spar. Yeah, it's uh, it's Spa, isn't it? So, no, but the race I'm really looking forward to in the back end is Zandvoort because we didn't get it last year, yeah. obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'm um, still thinking though that Spa always is a bittersweet feeling for me because I love it as a race. It's a brilliant track to watch and the, the the speed and everything. But when Spa comes, I always know that the summer holidays are about to end. <laughs> now this doesn't apply to me much anymore, obviously, because I'm not like. 11 anymore but but that was always the case for me and then when Monza arrived you really did know like you probably <laughs> started school a couple of days before or you were starting like the, the week like a couple of days after Monza so like <laughs> I've always had that's how I associate and because like Silverstone I always thought right Silverstone's like the end of end of term and and, and Spa's like you know the end of the summer so that's why you know that's how I sort of feel about it. Uh-huh. And then you have the Australian Grand Prix always around the tie where you have to turn the clocks around as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, um, I never never normally get to watch Monaco much because it's in my exams usually, for you, school and uni. So mm, I watched it anyway. I remember the <laughs> first the first day of uni, you you meant to go down and meet everyone in your accommodation. I just sat and watched the Singapore Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Um, that's fun. That's fun. I wonder why I made no friends in uni. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's... Uh, let's Let's end the pod there on that very nice and depressing note. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining me, guys. We'll see you guys next time. See ya. See ya.